This is the Patriot Radio News Hour, brought to you by the Patriot Trading Group. For all your gold and silver buying needs, call them at 1-800-951-0592 or log on to allamericangold.com. Broadcast for Wednesday, January the 13th, 2016. Well, good morning, friends and neighbors, and welcome to the Patriot Radio News Hour on a hump day. Patriot Trading Group, what do we do here? The physical delivery of gold and silver. You can give us a call at 1-800-951-0592, and the lovely Sarah will be there to take your calls, answer your questions. Just be nice to you if you want her to. Or you can go check us out at allamericangold.com. Not only can you order online, but you can check out the news to disturb the comfortable. This news is brought to you by the Patriot Trading Group and its owner, the CEO, the master of research, and the man who breaks it all down and pays for it. It's his show. Don't like what you hear? Give him a call. Or don't, because I'm here to tell you, it's his show. And his name is Joe Jaquin. Joe, it's hump day, buddy. What would you think? Where are you at so far in the week? Good morning. Well, nice start. Good a little morning. delay there. Little well, you know on. what? I, I, I'll tell you right now. It is Powerball Wednesday. The jackpot, $1.5 billion. And really fascinating. Uh, someone did the math. Apparently, you can buy every combination. It only will cost you... $584 million to do it. That's what it would cost you? That's $2 a ticket? That's $2 a ticket. You could buy every combination. Now, I don't know if you could actually, if it physically could be done. You know, I'd love to be smart enough to go, that doesn't sound right, but I don't know. Right? <laughs> but I mean, it's not like you could go to the Circle K clerk. And stand in line and go. I, okay, I need to put these in one at a time because they're not doing a uh, right and manually manually doing it. But but let's just say it could be done, right? You called the Powerball. Mark Cuban calls the Powerball lottery office and says, "Hey, I'm sending you. Why aren't you five hundred eighty-four million dollars? Why don't you just? I got everything. And depending on the state that you live in, because of course the almighty taxes. If you take the lump payment and you don't live like in New York or Oregon somewhere where they're going to hit you for over 50% of your winnings because let me tell you how it works if you pick the lump sum instead of 1.5 billion dollars you get just under a billion okay 900 and some odd million dollars is what your one payment would be then you got to pay the tax on that Okay, um, so you're going to be sixty percent. Well, now you're thirty. You know okay. your state, local taxes, all that. You know, let's call it thirty some odd percent. If you were the only winner, so everybody else has to lose. You got to be the only winner. You'd make about two hundred forty million dollars. So it takes one point five billion dollars in our in our lottery system for you to get away with $200 million. To get away with $200 million if you're the only winner. If one other person wins, Chop it yeah, you, you're losing money. How about that? You, 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 it's not worth the investment. But I just figured that was interesting enough. You know, I thought, you know, last night was the uh, um, 
Stated, stated, the last one. It was the last one. The Thankfully, last one. we don't have to see that again. The problem is, who's going to be giving the State of the Union next year? That's what we don't know, but the president... Well, he had such a big smile on his face, but I was going to say, he thought he won the lotto. Well, he did win the lottery. <laughs> he actually won it twice. Yes, he I did. Mean, well, then again, you have a better chance of being elected president. It's much easier to be elected president than to win the Powerball. Well, you keep coming up with these interesting scenarios of what's easier to do, because apparently it's easier for me to become an NBA player. You can be drafted, you can be the president. you got a better chance of being killed by an asteroid than winning this Powerball. But nonetheless, uh, he did give the State of the Union in, in full disclosure. My my oldest son played in Marana last night, which is essentially North Tucson. Uh, so I got home late and uh, only watched. I stomached about 10 or 15 minutes of it where he had made reference to the Constitution. And I love when politicians, they love to use the Constitution when it suits them. How about that? Right? But when it comes to our money, it is amazing how all of them like to ignore it. So when I got in this morning, I already knew. Next segment, creature from Jekyll Island, G. Edward Griffin, we're going to lay out exactly what the Constitution says is money in this country. We're going to be quoting all kinds of of our founding fathers and what they were writing about fiat money, because trust me, they all knew about fiat money. They all saw it in the colonies and all of these things and how horrible and the dangers, all the things that we're facing today, they knew about that 200 years ago, well, 200 plus years now, almost, what, closing on 250 years now. And it's amazing what really the Constitution says, and why is it that our elected officials, our whole judicial branch, want to ignore it? Of course, let's face it, uh, that's what the power of big money can do. And then we're also going, you know, because it's something where I think it's good to remember what the first dollar was here in the United States. And for those of you, there's some of you out there, you know what it was. But for most of you out there, I think you will be shocked at what the first dollar of the United States was officially. We got all of that coming up. It's going to be a great show. Don't touch that dot. Today, it's story time on Patriot Radio News Hour. We present The Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin. And now, your host, Joe Jaquint. Welcome, another edition of Story Time after our president wanted to remind everybody. 
of our founding fathers last night when he uttered the words, we the people. And I thought, you know, it is amazing how all of them come to real, let's face it, maybe, not maybe, at least in my opinion, the greatest document uh, when it comes to governance ever written, the United States Constitution, without a shadow of a doubt. And the brilliance that our founding fathers had, the ability, right, to, to debate these issues and come up with that document. And in G. Edward Griffin's book, I think it's something where all of us need to be reminded. Because our founding fathers, they had a huge warning for all of us. Right? One was a, right, we know about big government, right? They warned you about it. They warned about the power, too much power being in the hands of the federal government, right? It was supposed to be the states had a lot more power back then, and that's how they envisioned it, and slowly but surely we have gotten away from that. But they had very strong beliefs about money. And, you know, you look around today and at the chaos that's out there, the evaporating value of the dollar, collapsing financial institutions, right? We see it all the time now. Like China no longer uh, allowing access to dollars to, to try to control its currency. How did we get to this point? Because how, how did we get here? How did we get to, to the bailouts and too big to fail and how did we get to a Federal Reserve with 0% rates for over half of a decade and, and we're allegedly in this no-growth recovery? And when you look at how we got here, we've got to go all the way back to where we started. The Constitution of the United States, Article One. Section 8 and Section 10. Congress shall have the power to borrow money, to coin money, to regulate the value thereof and of foreign coin and fix the standard of weights and measures to provide for the punishment of counterfeiting no state shall coin money, emit bills of credit. By the way, bills of credit, that's debt. Make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts. The delegates were precise in these words. Congress was given the power to coin money. Now, of course, coining money is not printing. 
It's not electronic credit. Now, electronic credit did not exist, but printing presses most certainly did. Thomas Cooley, principal of the constitutional law, explains that to coin money is to stamp pieces of metal for the use as a medium of exchange and commerce according to fixed standards of value. Because it clearly states that the Congress shall fix the standards of weights and measures. What was prohibited amid bills of credit. See, our founding fathers did not want the government to have the power to issue IOUs. According to the speeches and the writings of those who drafted the document, the printing of paper IOUs, which were intended to be circulated as money, is prohibited. In other words, the printing of fiat money not backed by gold or silver. That's what our founding fathers intended. It would seem that nothing could be more clear. Yet these two simple clauses have become the basis for literally thousands of pages of conflicting interpretation. The crux of the problem? Well, the Constitution clearly prohibits the states from issuing fiat money. It does not specifically prevent the federal government from doing so. Obviously, today, I would say that would be a truly unfortunate oversight. But when you look at the writing of all of these people that put this together, it is clear what the intention was. You know, when you go back and you start looking at, you know, all of the the different people that constructed this and they put together this Constitution, they were very adamant because they had seen it play out and they had seen fiat money play out all over the place. The prevailing view of the majority of the delegates at the convention, they were adamant in their resolve to create a constitution which would prevent any state, especially the federal government itself, from ever issuing fiat money. Now, how could G. Edward Griffin make this claim? How could he? How could he have the audacity? Because he obviously wasn't there to be able to say, "Hey, all the people that wrote this, it was clear." And the answer is very simple. All of these gentlemen wrote paper after paper, not only before, but after. Oliver Ellsworth from Connecticut, who, by the way, 
was the third chief justice of the Supreme Court. This is a favorable moment to shut and bar the door against paper money, he wrote. The mischief of the various experiments which have been made are now fresh in the public's mind and have excited the disgust of all respectable parts of America. See, and this is the thing, you know, I guess they used it, time heals all wounds. Right, enough time went by and people forgot. Right, they forgot about what, what fiat money does which is essentially bankrupt you absolutely. George Mason, you've heard of that guy. He was from Virginia. He wrote, Mortals, Mortal Hatred to Paper Money. He wrote a letter to George Washington stating, they may pass a law to issue issue paper money but 20 laws will not make the people receive it paper money is founded upon fraud and connivory James Wilson who right this guy don't know yeah he was from Pennsylvania he's on it oh here's what he said about fiat money it will have the most Solitary influence of the credit of the United States to remove the possibility of paper money. In other words, this will lead us to greatness by removing the possibility of paper money. John Langdon from New Hampshire warned that he would rather reject the whole plan of the Federation than to grant the new government the right to issue fiat money. These are what they were writing about. George Reed from Delaware declared that a provision in the Constitution granting the new government the right to issue fiat money would be as alarming as the mark of the beast in the book of Revelation. Pretty strong words. Thomas Paine. He wasn't actually a delegate, by the way. But here's what he... He was so strongly opposed to fiat money, he called it counterfeiting. And he... The legal tender laws which forced the people to accept the counterfeiting he was so strongly opposed to that, he thought that the punishment should be death. Think about that. Anybody who has the audacity to print fiat money should be put to death. Because you know what these gentlemen know? You know what they knew when they wrote this? They knew exactly what was the devil that was in the details of fiat money. 
$19 trillion debt, right? Phony paper stock markets, the manipulation of, of the entire world's economic system that, that happens every single day, that we talk about here every single day. The slow, gradual bankruptcy of this nation. That's what's happening. Plain and simple, the printing of fiat money is simply the devaluation of your bank account. Somehow, we've allowed them to leak. Well, I guess we can argue whether it's really legal or not, because it's never been repealed. This, these articles in the Constitution have never been repealed. It still says it today. So I find it interesting that the president last night wants to recite the Constitution, but we decide that we don't need to follow this part of it. But what they knew is they knew how it was going to end. See, and we've forgotten because they said it was still fresh in their mind. Because all of the states, and I don't know about all, but like Massachusetts did it, Pennsylvania, they all started to issue fiat currencies, and they all ended up bankrupting the people that held them. That's exactly what's playing out in the world today. Our founding fathers knew better. We should know better. When we get back... We're going to talk about what was the first dollar of the United States. So as we come to find out, the founding fathers had extremely strong opinions about fiat money. Do you think any of them had visions of what it, uh, of the turn it could take that it is today? Yeah, well, I think they absolutely I think most of them, if they were alive today, would be like, yeah, told you. Told you so. Because <laughs> we know where it's going. It's so unpayable, it's not even funny. Right? No one even wants to talk about five or five years from now or ten years from now because, well, <laughs> right? well let's not talk about that. We don't want to tell them about 30 and 40 and $50 trillion worth of debt and how much it's actually going to cost for anybody to do anything when that happens. Let's worry about, you know, uh, crude oil prices. Yeah, that's a good one, right? Let's worry about uh, whether or not we need to apologize to the Iranians. Yeah, let's worry about that. So what was the very first dollar of the United States? And most people would surmise one of two things, right? One, either we adopted the shilling, right, England, well, being right. that we left that country to to escape tyranny and everything right. else, right. You, you would, would th- think we brought that form of uh, of currency. Or we simply created our own, but we actually didn't. In 1785, Thomas Jefferson urged the adoption of the Spanish real as the national official monetary unit. In a pamphlet submitted to the delegates of the Continental Congress, Jefferson wrote, 
taking into our view all money transactions, great and small. I question if a common measure of more convenient size than the dollar could be proposed. The unit or dollar is a known coin. And the most familiar of all to the minds of the people, it is already adopted from the south to the north, Has has identified our currency and therefore happily offers itself as an unit already introduced. Of course, he was talking about the real. On July 6, 1785, the Congress unanimously voted to adopt the real, or the Spanish dollar, as the official monetary unit of the United States. But one of the things that they noticed was depending on what year the real was minted, it had different weights and measures. Some reals were a little bigger, some reals were a little smaller, some reals had more silver than others. So Jefferson went on and said that, you know what, we need to do better. See, this is what's important to me. They were very convinced that we needed exact units of weights in measure. See, today, we don't want us to measure anything, do we? Right? We used to count the money supply. Because we needed to know what the weight and measurement was. And since we decided that we don't want to use gold and silver, we want to use debt-laden fiat paper, that was the way you did it. But now that the numbers are so ridiculous, they've decided, you know what, let's not even tell you what that supply doesn't matter what it is. It's a full faith and credit. So once Congress figured out that all of these reals had different weights and measures, they decided that they needed to regulate the value of money. Jefferson wrote, if we determine that a dollar shall be our unit, we must then say with precision what a dollar is. This coin, as struck at different times of different weight and different fineness, is of of different values. So the Congress took action. Alexander Hamilton, he was the Secretary of the Treasury at the time, in, in 1791, urged the establishment of the Federal Mint and presented a powerful case for maintaining an unavoidable standard for the coins to be produced by the mint. And that is how we came up with silver dollars. 
Every single one from that point on was going to be minted with the exact same measurements. And this is part of the story that I think is the most important. Because today, not only do they want to ignore sections, Article 1, Section 8, and Section 10 of the Constitution, but now they want to go as far as, let's not even measure it anymore. That that way, hey, a dollar that was printed, and we know this. You know what? Here's a great example. Let's just say, I don't know, you know, a hundred years ago, you buried a hundred dollar bill. A hundred years ago, a hundred dollar bill. You could, your whole family could exist for at least a year, if not longer, on a hundred bucks. Right? They could pay the mortgage, buy the food, do all that they needed to do with that hundred dollars. Today, you unburied it. And you took that hundred dollars down to Whole Foods. You got three things, then you're done with your hundred bucks. Right? Maybe you got dinner. You don't even get to make it to tomorrow. Of course, if you had buried it in gold, right, you'd have buried five twenty dollar gold pieces. That's a beautiful thing right there. Right? You you can't get a whole year's worth. But you still you, you get yourself you know, fifty-five, hundred, six thousand dollars. So you can see what's happened to the dollar. The dollar printed today isn't worth the same that it was when it was printed a hundred years ago, fifty years ago, twenty years ago. Which is exactly what our founding fathers didn't want. Patriot Radio News Hour. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back, Patriot Radio News Hour. Give us a call, 1-800-951-0592. i got to tell you, Joe, you draw such an amazing picture of the value of, what, 100 bucks. Really, what's happened to our money? I mean, as you're drawing out that picture, I don't know if I'm driving down the road, I have to pull over and go, you know what? Look what has happened to our money. But you know what? I want a, a bigger point. Look how smart these founding fathers truly were. You mean you when, think they'd when, be rolling over in when, their grave when, right when now? When you look at, first they decided, they look, let's face it, there was plenty of currencies, plenty of countries minting gold and silver coins, plenty of countries trying out fiat money, and they looked all over the globe and said, this coin is the one we're going to use. Talking about the real. And then they realized, hey, wait a minute. This real doesn't look like this real. This one looks bigger. This one looks smaller. 
obviously they cannot have the same value. The smaller coin has less silver. It must be worth less. And what our founding fathers wanted was a coin, a median of exchange, that no matter when it was issued, was worth the exact same amount. Sustainability. Sustainability. That's not what the fiat dollar does. By definition, they want the dollar to be worth less every single year. And they even put a number on it. 2%. We want 2%. Who in your right mind would say, yep, I want you to take 2% of my wealth every year? I mean, do a little math. If they took 2% this year, 2% next year, 2% the year after that, 10 years later, they just took 20% of my money. Wait a minute. In 20 years, they've taken 40%, and that's if they didn't screw it up. Every 50 years, they've taken it all. And this is precisely why they wrote the Constitution the way they wrote it. And they knew what fiat money was and is. And they did not want that to be America. Because they knew we will be the most powerful nation on the earth if we outlaw fiat money. They wrote it down. And look at what's happening. Every year, a little more power slips away from us. See that nonsense last night? I didn't hear the president talk about it in his speech. Now, granted, I didn't hear the whole thing. But the Iranians take 10 of our soldiers, take them hostage, and then make us apologize to them? You think that's on accident? And we did it. I don't want to, shh, don't talk about that. Why do you think that's happening? It all has to come down. You know what? At the end of the day, you know what they say about all the problems? Well, eventually you got to follow the money. This is the trail right? you follow. Eventually you got to follow the money. And when you decide that you want fiat money to be your currency, eventually you lose all the power. Why do you think the Chinese are buying all that gold month after month? Now give us another 15 tons. Give us 18 tons. Give us 20 tons every single month. Why do you think that is? You know, in 1952, you know how many tons of gold the United States had in its vaults? We had over 20,000 tons. But guess what started happening? Because, you know, 33, we took away the gold. Well, then there was a big war. 1945, that big war ended. 
All of these countries were taking their gold, their $20 gold pieces, and turning them into 35 U.S. dollars. To the point where by 1952, we had over 20,000 tons of it. Then something happened. All of a sudden, these governments were like, hmm, you know what? Here's $35. Why don't you give us that gold back? And by the time Nixon closed the gold window, we were down to just 8,000 tons. Because we decided we wanted fiat money. And you know what these governments know? Hey, I don't care, 3%, 2%, 4%, 10%, you're devaluing. And the only thing in the entire world that will protect us from devaluation is gold. That's why they wanted it all back. That's why we closed the gold window. <laughs> we weren't going to have any left. At least somebody was smart enough in Congress or in Washington to say, hey, wait a minute. Time out here. We better at least keep something. Because when this all blows up, we're probably going to want it. Patriot Radio News Hour. We'll be back after the break. Final segment, Patriot Radio News Hour. Would you want a, your money to be something? And I'll give you an example. Candy bar used to be a nickel. $100. You buy 2,000 candy bars. 100 years later, you can get about 50 candy bars for that same 100 bucks. you had it in in $20 gold pieces, right? If you buried that. You know, you you, you look at it and you could still, you know, still get your 2,000 candy bar. Matter of fact, do a little better. You actually get a little over 3,000 candy bars if you had five $20 gold pieces today. You're in financial ruin with the program they have right now. But that's a great... That's what it's designed to do. And this is what our founding fathers knew. This is why they wrote the Constitution that the way they did. And anybody that could argue that they didn't say that they didn't mean that the federal government couldn't doesn't know how to read. It's that simple. Because if you want to know what they meant, if there was any question as to what they meant, read what they were all writing. Yesterday, I ran a special. That it was it was ridiculous, and how great of an offer that I was making to all of you because that's so important. It's what I want to do. I want you to have it. I want you to buy it. I want you to put it away because I know you're going to be glad you did down the road. 
I ran $20 gold pieces at $1,195. Gold's up five right now. At eleven hundred and or at a thousand and ninety, I've got some left, and by some I mean some. I've got less less than twenty of them left. Eleven hundred ninety-five U.S. twenty-dollar gold pieces. Back when, well, our currency was the way our founding fathers intended it to be. At eleven hundred and ninety-five dollars, at eight hundred nine five one zero five nine two, the Dow is down a hundred points. The Nasdaq's down forty-five. The S and P's down eleven. Uh, oil inventory reports came out today. I've never seen this before, but they said we had increases in gasoline barrels, eight and a half million barrels more gasoline this week than last week. So could gas prices slide again? I'm hoping. Well, I understand. Six and a half million more in distillates, which is your diesel fuel. Well, the price of Butterfingers and Snickers is going up. So, you know, you can expect that to keep happening. To, you know, <laughs> there's your money devaluing. 800-951-0592. This is how good of a deal it is. There's really no point to me ever doing radio again if I can't sell it for that. I mean, that's how great of a price. U.S. $20 Liberties, 1866 to 1907 at $1,195. 800-951-0592. You know what you do? You put it away and you forget about it. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, people are going to be really glad that you did. Everyone take care. Have a great day. And we'll talk again tomorrow.